Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Mystery to Me podcast. I'm Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And we love movies and television shows with a whiff of mystery. Mystery to Me will feature us riffing on murder mysteries, film noir, cozy detective stories, police procedurals, psychological thrillers, legal dramas, tales of teen sleuths, and more. Once we're done yucking it up about whatever we've just seen, we'll serve up our five-star final takes on whether it's worth your time. If you're offended by silliness, profanity, political asides, canine-related interruptions, and losers laughing at their own bad jokes, beware. Also note that some of the stories we'll be talking about are pretty dark, and in some cases exceptionally badly written. So content warning for murder, violence, suicide, torture, rape, racism, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and bigotry. If there's a movie or show you'd like for us to talk about, email us at mysterytomepodcast at gmail.com. Our show's take on genre is pretty loosey-goosey. So as long as your suggestion has some dash of mystery, we're interested in hearing about it. Spoiler alert! We're going to be discussing the entirety of this show or movie, spoilers and all. So if you want to be surprised... Press pause, go watch the thing, then join us for the show. Now that you've heard our spiel, go ahead and polish off those magnifying glasses and slip into your favorite trench coat. Let's get mysterious. So, Kevin, what did we watch tonight? We watched Nancy Drew, Reporter, a 1939 film starring Benita Granville as the uh, beloved series character Nancy Drew. Relatively uh, early on after Nancy Drew was uh, made her first uh, appearance, was that in uh, 1930? Yeah, that sounds right. Wow, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think about this adaptation as, as coming really on the heels of this very popular series, which I love. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of an adaptation right out the gate. 
what do you suppose made this uh, series so uh, popular? Uh, the book series or the film series? The book series. Well, I think Nancy is a, an aspirational character for young young women. Um, as she is very, uh, she's very independent. She can kind of just Nancy Drew don't give a fuck for the most part in the series. You know, she just does whatever. People are kind of always like, eh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, don't endanger your life and the lives of all your friends. And she just, she just does whatever she wants. She gets involved in all sorts of hijinks and, you know, figures, figure shit out. But she also, you know, gets a cool car. She has a cool boyfriend. You know, she's, she's got the life. Um, and I think also, you know, it, it, it was kind of a, maybe, um, a bit of a, a, a girl power thing. I mean, that's pretty much what the uh, Stratmeyer syndicate, the uh, the outfit that uh, conjured up Nancy Drew was thinking when they when they started penning those books because the the Hardy Boys had been a success and they were just basically like, what if we did that but for girls, you know? So why do you suppose with the Hardy Boys they had two male characters and with Nancy Drew they just had a single uh, lady? Why are you just really walking into that one? <laughs> <laughs> Because women are more competent, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Um, maybe, uh, I, who knows? Uh, we know that, um, I don't remember her name, but one of the early authors of the Nancy Drew series kind of based some of it. She was a really cool reporter lady and uh, based some of it on you know her own adventures or her own sort of personality as this kind of go-getting young lady who uh, goes out and kind of seeks out adventure. So... Maybe maybe that's why. And also, to be uh, completely uh, fair, while Nancy Drew got top billing, there was kind of a team Drew, if you will, where she had a couple of female friends who helped her out on cases. Oh, yeah. She definitely had a Scooby gang, for sure. You got George. You got Bess. You got Ned. You know, her dad pitches in. Her housekeeper pitches in, because this is something that was started, you know, written in the 30s. Um, so definitely not just her. You have a whole... Drew, Drew verse, I guess. Of course, uh, most of those characters did not appear in this film we just saw. No, but it did. Uh, this film that we did just see did uh, go back to um, the roots of uh, that initial one of those. Uh, I think her name was uh, Mildred Wirt. She was a real cool lady. Look her up. Uh, she was a reporter. And uh, this this uh, installation of the film series focuses on Nancy's attempts to become a hard-hitting journalist, a topic near and dear to my heart, because I am also a reporter. <laughs> I had no idea. You didn't know that? I don't ever talk about that. <laughs> so let's talk well, about the film. Well, before we get too far into the actual story, uh, as a fan of the books, how do you think just in general, this the character of Nancy in this movie, how did she compare the Nancy in the books? Was it a pretty accurate, uh, faithful a, uh, portrayal? That's a great question. Listen, I don't think Nancy Nancy is a character. This is a children's book series that was written in the 30s and then re revised in the 50s and 60s. I mean, my take on it is that she's written as a character that enough room is left for a lot of young women to project themselves onto you know and and that also goes for adaptations you know i think i think adaptation should be encouraged to kind of fill in the blanks and, and bring something new to the table whether we're talking about 1939 or 2020 so um i'm i don't i don't think anybody should be a nancy purist um 
to, to, to a, to a crazy degree because, you know, it is a character that you can kind of mold into whatever, um, a driven young woman of that day, you know, might, might look like. And I think in this case, it's kind of, um, a bit of a screwball comedy twist on the character. Um, I'm going to say loved, loved the manic, crazy energy that Benita Granville brought to this. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It was a bit silly at times, maybe even a bit wacky. Um, but you really felt like this, this young woman was really dedicated to solving a mystery and, you know, didn't really let anything stand in her way in regards to that. So in terms of the characterization, I think as long as you nail that about Nancy, you can kind of bring your own twist to it. And I, I approve. The cane seal of approval. Yeah, I'm the only one whose approval matters. So. That's what you've told me. I know. I mean, that's the rule. But you know, I, I'm listen, it's not, maybe it's not for everyone. Maybe some people would find this too wacky or too silly, but uh, I, I really, I enjoyed it. That was her. She, she was not the part of this movie that I did not enjoy. There was other things that we'll talk about, we'll get into that do not belong in any movie, in any movie, not just a Nancy Drew movie. They just don't belong in a movie because they're terrible. But she, I liked we her. We, we don't want to get too far yeah. ahead of ourselves. I liked but her. there was one point in the movie where you asked me to smother you with a pillow. Yes. <laughs> and that's a shame. That's a shame because there's a lot that works here. A lot right. that works here. What doesn't work really grinds, though. But Benita Granville... Loved her. So this is one of those movies that starts with a montage of the smiling faces of the characters we're about to meet as if you're really going to love these characters. They're just so wonderful. These are the friends you haven't met yet. <laughs> these are the faces that will flash before your eyes before you fall asleep tonight. And one thing that's uh, very striking about this montage is most of the characters are wearing hats. Yeah, lots of hats. It's a very pro-hat movie. This is the 1930s. Hats are the rule of the day. And we immediately see Benita Granville. I hope I'm saying that right. But anyway, the main the main lady's hat is awesome. And her her beau, Ted, who is played by Frankie Thomas, has a bit of a mess of a hat. But we're going we're gonna to learn more about that later. <laughs> and also, uh, somebody by the name of Killer Perkins who we will also learn more about later. Unfortunately. Has a hat that looks like a, a colander with a feather stuck in it. I did not care for that hat. I did not care for that character, but here we are. After the opening sequence uh, concludes, we find ourselves where? A newsroom, of course. This is Nancy Drew's turn as a reporter. So we're starting out in a bustling newsroom. Some guy named Tracy is out and it's driving the editor crazy. As, the, as somebody who was once an editor at a college newspaper, I, I totally understand this character. He's bitter. He's angry. He hates everybody around him. He doesn't want to be there anymore. I mean, this was just me for, you know, two years of my life in college. So I get it. Love the energy this guy's bringing. Uh, he asks uh, some, some intern if, if, you know, he could find out if some guy named Tracy would condescend to take a little reportorial chore for this afternoon. And it's it's... It's wonderful. Very relatable. Very one, bitter. one point he declares, every time I depend upon a reporter, I'm double-crossed. And gosh, if I heard a, if I got a dime for every time I heard one of my editors say that to me, about me, I'd have a lot of dimes. <laughs> <laughs> Reporters, they're not to be trusted. We all know this, especially with things like deadlines, which is apparently what Tracy was doing. So I... 
am already, just because I'm a navel-gazing journalist, I'm already all into this. I'm all, all in. I'm in the newsroom drama. I want to see more of that. I want to see what happens next. What happens next is a bunch of high school kids come in. Yeah, uh, the bunch of kids, they have big dreams, they have big ideas, they know what they want to cover. They're they're eager, and they're going into it with really high hopes. They're going into this program that apparently we learn maybe wasn't set up with great intentions, because uh, the man leading the high schoolers in to introduce them to the editor reveals that they're just trying to pump up circulation by having this high school writing competition, see which high schooler can write the best article, and the editor frankly, doesn't give a shit. And, and really, would that really pump up circulation? Would like people all over the city say, I can't wait to see what these high schooler kids have to say. Hey, you know what? Let's have reporting, but worse. <laughs> Let's have some articles that aren't very well written. Let's say, I there. like the sound of that. <laughs> That's why they hired me, Kevin. <laughs> My job. <laughs> what if the news wasn't very good because it's written by high schoolers? And actually, one of the uh, the reporters, uh, one of the aspiring reporters, is a young woman who says, "I want to cover real stories. I want to write about a scandal." And that reminded me of you. That's me. That's what I said when. That's what. That's how I got the job, Kevin. Yeah. What do you think? I just burst in. I want to cover a scandal. They're like, "Who let you in?" <laughs> What are you doing? Nancy, of course, is one of these high school students, and she's uh, interested in adventure and romance. And, uh, and, the, and you know, kind of calls out the editor for being so bitter and saying, like, you know, news, news is an essential part of any functioning democratic society. I mean, I don't know if she actually says that, but that's, you know, pretty much, pretty much what she's thinking. She wants the adventure and romance associated with the profession and uh, and the editor is just bitterly talking about how much he literally hates everybody he works with. I get I get Nancy's energy. I get the editor's energy. Everybody, I've been all of these people in this room, and and you know I've been the guy who got assigned. I mean, basically the editor gives them all just crap assignments. Uh, one girl is told to go write a story about a squirrel in a park. Nancy gets some tea room meeting of some old ladies. Um, a guy gets uh, a human interest story about a goldfish. I've been those guys, too, where you have an assignment you're not really inspired by, but you have to go deliver. And you've also been the person who does what Nancy does in this situation, where she sneaks over to another reporter's desk, steals his assignment. Well, I hope none of my coworkers are listening to this, but... <laughs> I'm outing you. Jeez, Kevin, I'm going to get fired. No, yeah, she um, she's not having this. And this is true to Nancy in the books, and you know that, Kevin, because you've read the books as well, you know, she's not above just, you know what? I don't want to write about some tea room bullshit. Um, I'm going to go and get a story, a real story. You know, Tracy's out today. What's he got? She takes it off. She takes a scrap of paper off a spike and off she goes. She's going to go cover a murder inquest. And then they would go to the, we go to the inquest. Where there's a, a, a scene where she, squeezes past other bemused reporters to sit down in the front row of the press section to hear some uh, riveting testimony about chemicals. I can't even tell if this is an inquest or a trial because I guess I wasn't paying attention. Common common theme through some of these reviews. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious, you know, they, they're talking to a woman who is the daughter of the dead lady's like companion you know somebody she hired to be her friend very depressing backstory here 
but she's being told this poison, you know, that this this compound that you are associated with may have been used to poison this now dead lady. And the woman just kind of starts realizing that they're basically saying you probably poisoned her. I mean, is that how inquests work? Are they kind of like just revealing to you, like, actually, we think it's you. And you're like, oh, no, on the stand. <laughs> oh, jeez. No. no. Oh, I'm sweating now. And of course. Uh, See, this would happen to me, though, because I wouldn't pay attention to all the stuff ahead of time. And I would, I would be like, oh, the police are just talking to me real rough because they're having a bad day. And then I'd get up there and I'd be like, oh, jeez, <laughs> this would be me. And you'd be hauled away in handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> this is what happens to this woman uh, after she gives her testimony. They decide, well, we're going to hold her over for murder. And so Nancy thinks, I've got a heck of a story. Nancy uses a lot of stereotyping about what murderers look like in this movie, I will say that. Not very good reporting. And she starts walking out towards her car, and the people parked behind her uh, are a couple who have a conversation. The man in the couple is like if Bane from the Dark Knight... <laughs> Had a son with like Froggy from uh, our gang because this man doesn't really speak too clear. This guy in the scene before Nancy comes out, he says stuff that I think is very important. I, I heard <laughs> I heard the word tin can, mm -hmm. and I think it was really urgent information. We really couldn't understand what he was saying. We don't know what he said. But then as Nancy uh, appears, this guy drives off with his uh, lady love. They hit Nancy's car, which let's just. Be clear, looks like a tank. The, yeah, the car is huge. It's a huge 1930s car where you know it would just like explode into little bits if she crashed it. it. It just looks dangerous as hell and she looks tiny in it. It's terrifying. But when she sees them hit her car, she freaks the fuck out. Which, let's be real, that is that is canonical Nancy. Canonical Nancy does not let shit like that go. If you, she's like, she's like Javert. You know, you fuck up in front of her, she's gonna... She's going to make sure that you swap insurance information here. Because she, in her mind, she's figured it out. This man who ran into her car did $3.50 worth of damage. And also very much in the keeping of the original books is basically, you know, and this is not a spoiler. This is just a general, I guess, like, serious spoiler. If, if you're reading a Nancy Drew book and it's early on and somebody does something kind of rude or inconveniencing to nancy like say some some sharp elbowed lady pushes in front of you know and, and inconveniences nancy that woman is evil that woman is up to no good she's probably running some sort of art smuggling ring and she's going to become nancy's nemesis in nancy's world if you do something if you do a dick move you're bad and you got to watch out for those people so naturally we know these people are going to be villains going forward also in nancy's world if she asks you to do something, and you, if you have any decency in you whatsoever, no matter what you're supposed to be doing, no matter if you have a duty or an obligation, if Nancy asks you to do something, you drop it, and you do whatever Nancy asks. And this is what happens here, because she, these people hit her car, she freaks out, she chases them wildly, there's this long car chase sequence where she has this huge hat, which somehow st uh, stays on her head. She traces them to the house where this woman was murdered. There's a man outside the house. The world's loneliest security guard. He's there to guard the place. He says, what are you doing here? To Nancy. And Nancy says, somebody hit my car, and I think they might be in that house. And so the guard says, I'm dropping everything, babe. I'm helping you find those people. He doesn't call her babe, though, because he's not creepy. But yes, 
They he they are you're gonna find out more about this guy later. It's gonna maybe make you sad, but let's just say for now they are fast friends. They're fast allies. They're gonna get to the bottom of this whole insurance situation. Fact that they track down this this fella who's suspiciously looking in the back door of the house. Hmm. They they find him. Nancy confronts him, and he like does his impression of Mumbles from Dick Tracy. <laughs> And he gives Nancy a $5 bill to cover the damages. She says, well, I think you did three fifty worth of damages. Probably took me about $0.50 cents worth of gas to get here. I'm giving you back a buck. Classic Nancy. She's That actually, that, that exact thing happens in one of the early books. I don't quite remember. Was that a brass-bound trunk? I think maybe a, that a was brass-bound brass trunk. trunk. Literally, same thing happens. You have an auto accident. Uh, a guy gives her too much money, and she's like, I can't accept this. I need to give you back $25 and is like running around trying to find the guy because he gave her too much money after clipping her car and pulling a fast, uh, you know, a, a hit and run basically. And there's an odd moment here because the, this, this guy who can't talk clearly, he, he, he tries to, he tries to explain himself apparently by saying that he is a gas meter reader. And so when the security guard sees him pulling out a $5 bill, yeah, he says, maybe I'm in the wrong branch of the service. So in this universe, apparently gas meter readers and third-party hired security are, <laughs> Is, are, are, are the branch, troops. The branches of the military. Those are the troops. <laughs> don't, don't mock their service. I was saluting the whole time, Kevin. <laughs> Nothing but respect for <laughs> my troops. Anyways, we go back to the newsroom. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to see the action. This is Nancy Drew reporter. I want to see this character being an insane reporter and messing things up for her editor. Um, and 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 Nancy is a bit puzzled. Why? What? What? what she's kind of perplexed by what her her editor is saying now. Well, first of all, she thinks she's coming back with a big scoop. Sure, she got a little bit distracted by that that car business, but she thinks she has a big story. But guess what? The story's already appeared in print. <sighs> And and I, I thought this was a great moment. The editor, as she's talking about how great her story is, the editor just quietly says to himself, a thing like this would happen to me. <laughs> and and Nancy has kind of a different opinion on how the, uh, the, the media should work or how a, a, an aspiring young journalist should work. A newspaper man or woman must stop at nothing to get the news. Which includes stealing assignments off of other reporters' desks. Yeah, and getting involved in traffic accidents. Yes. So we're off to a great start. I mean, that is obviously true. I mean, and I, I kind of was a little struck by this scene because, Kevin, this this feels like a somewhat accurate look, even to this day, about how uh, the, the, the newspaper business, or let's say maybe the media business as a whole, you know, takes a lot of, like, bubbly, eager, young, aspiring journalists who want to change the world, da 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 and, and, you know, just gets sort of, like, chewed up and broken down by this landscape that uses your talents and saps your creativity in exchange for very little, and, and certainly not in exchange for appreciation oftentimes, you know? And it just sort of spits you out, and, and before you even know it, you're this editor. You're sitting around, you hate everybody you work with, you don't know why anybody would be foolhardy enough to come try to work with you, and, I mean, it's just sad, you know? It's just sad. Nothing has changed. There is nothing new under the sun. Oh, you're really trashing B.I., I'm not trashing. I'm not speaking about Business Insider, which is a wonderful place to work and is absolutely not like that. I'm speaking about the media landscape 
in general. It's a hard place to be, Kevin. It's a fun job. I would never do anything. I, I love being a reporter, but I know at times it can be pretty stressful. And I know from other people, you know, at other po- outlets that it can be pretty demoralizing sometimes. So, you know, be nice to reporters online because we, we, we're, we're dealing with a lot. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. But um, they're another branch of the service. We're another. We're the troops, too. We're also the troops along with the gas. Those are the branches of military. Gas meter readers, private security, and uh, journalists. I don't see you saluting. There you go. Thank you. Now we go back to Nancy's house. And I, I have a little quibble here as a, as a Nancy Drew aficionado. Did you catch it, Kevin, what I'm, what I'm upset about? Yes. Yeah. Well, basically in the books, Nancy has a... Uh, housekeeper named Hannah Gruen and in this the director or writer or whatever decided to name her Effie and there is an Effie who works as a uh you know housekeeping professional in the books she's not their main person I don't know where Hannah is but yeah I would like I would like a word with whoever wrote the script because that's so not canon so who was it that was about (laughs) 20 minutes ago saying oh you don't need to be a nancy drew purist you can let people do their own thing you're easy with that it doesn't bother you in the slightest i'm just doing a bit i'm being my like best impression of a comic book fan (laughs) you take that back (laughs) no nancy and her father carson get into a discussion at this point about the woman who has been accused of murder yeah and you know i think carson who is in this movie and in the books a respectable lawyer who you know it's never really clear what exactly branch of law if you, what you're a lawyer Kevin what is your best guess about what branch of law or what what you know type of law he does well in the movie it is talked about as a coup if Carson would represent this alleged murderess so I'm assuming that means he's a criminal lawyer. In in some books, he's like representing railroad companies. I mean, geez, and doing investigating gangsters. Like you never know what he's gonna do. And it was about this point in the movie that it occurred to me that Nancy's always really, really excited. She always talks really, really fast. She always runs around all the time. She runs down the stairs. She runs across the street. She's always so excited. It seems like she just did a line of cocaine. I mean, well, you live with me, so you know what that's like. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I get how that might be wearing. I loved it. I loved it. Well, I mean, this is a Nancy Drew film. This is the 1930s. We need some. We need some spunk. We need some happiness. She's full of spunk. Yeah. You get the idea. Maybe some of the people in her life aren't always crazy about that. She goes outside after talking with her father. She calls out to her, uh, I guess, male friend, Ted. She says, hey, Ted, and you see Ted kind of sigh, like, what am I in for now? I mean, if you knew this woman in real life, wouldn't you kind of be a little bit, you know, like, oh, geez, what's, what is it now? Like, I love you, Nancy, but, like, I mean, and that's in the books, too. I mean, she's so driven to solve mysteries. She's constantly making decisions that put her, she herself and her friends and her members of her household in kind of danger. Speaking of people doing things that perhaps put others in danger, uh, as she goes over to uh, talk with Ted, who's in his garage, there is an explosion of some kind in her car. Nancy gets Don Bowles. <laughs> this is the gritty Nancy Drew reboot we did not Anya, know we needed. A man died. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. But anyways. Don Bowles, of course, is a reporter <laughs> whose car exploded 
and he passed away tragic. It's awful. May he rest in peace. He was a good. He was a good one. I shouldn't joke about these things, but I mean, Ted kind of acts like a jerk. I mean, I'm a jerk for ma- making jokes about that, but Ted also acts like a jerk here because, I mean, if your girlfriend or like, you know, even if your friend drives up and her car is smoking and she's screaming and your reaction is like, "Ha ha, silly female!" It's just a whistle bomb in your <laughs> engine. I mean, that's kind of rude. What is a whistle bomb? It's you know what a whistle bomb is, Kevin. It's it's the it's the IED of whimsy, and it's not what we needed in this film because the whistle bomb is the harbinger of uh, Killer Parkins and Ted's sister Mary. And you know what? I'm just gonna give you guys a spoiler. They're not good news. They're not good news. Uh, they 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 are some little rascals wannabes rejects from the Our Gang crew who are slapped in this movie to provide comic relief and they drag the whole thing down to fucking hell. Anyways. But yeah, they put a whistle bomb in her car because apparently that's what passed for fun in 1939. <laughs> also, weird... I, 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 in, in, in the books... I'm, God, I'm just, I sound like the, the biggest fucking nerd. I don't... I, I just... I'm more curious. I'm not upset. I'd be curious why they changed Ned's name in, in the books Nancy's dating Ned Nickerson and they changed his name to Ted in the movies and I was I, I'm just asking I just want to ask questions okay I I don't hate it you can do whatever you want but I guess I just would be like was Ned did like some prominent Ned kill somebody in 1939 and everyone was like oh can't drop that name for a while geez or did somebody just read it really quickly and like a cocaine was cocaine a thing in 1939? I don't even know. And, and then just put the name wrong and that's what stuck. I don't know. I'm just I'm just asking questions like any good reporter. That's all. Well, I'm glad that's what you tell yourself. <laughs> you don't have questions? Oh, also we get uh, treated to killer Parkins. This fucking alfalfa fuck, fucking piece of crap. I just, I don't, I hate this kid. I just want to make that clear. I hate him and I hate Mary. Uh, Ned's sister, and suddenly he's mimicking Donald Duck. And <laughs> don't worry, it's not just once in the film. We get to see that later. It's wonderful. And I would say two things. His impression of Donald Duck, still easier to understand what he's saying than it is to understand that Bane asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and, and number two, just as a bit of trivia, the, the kid who imitates Donald Duck, uh, somewhat ironically, he went on to be the voice of Pinocchio. Yeah, nice movie. I like Disney films. He should have stuck with that. I I don't even blame the child actors in this. I guess it's just really irritating when you have some nice things about a movie, but then we have to devote so much time. I mean, this movie is like a little bit over an hour, and so much time is devoted to the antics of these two kid characters, Mary and Killer Parkins, who, to be very clear, are not in the books, but whatever. If they were a good audition, that would be fine, but they're not. And 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 and, and their antics is basically basically being rude and leaving whistle bombs in people's cars. And like these cars are like 1930 looking freaking cars. I mean, they look like if you kicked it wrong, it would like blow up. I mean, they look dangerous. So the, these kids are really. I just I I don't I don't. I don't have a high tolerance for bratty kid characters as like comic relief. Then you watched the wrong movie. I really did. Nancy wants uh, Ted to come with her 
to interview the alleged murderess in prison. He has other plans. He's going to go out with some tennis hottie for some lessons. You know what that means. But Nancy knows how to play this guy like a fiddle. What does she do? Well, you tell me. You're, you're the lady. You know you're... I know what I do usually, yeah. yeah you know how you get your, your man to well, do what you want. Kevin, as you know, when I want you to do something, I say, oh, don't worry about it, Kevin. I was going to I was gonna go down to the, the jail by myself. Hopefully this is not a riot or anything. Hopefully I don't need any protection. Also, I got you this big hat. <laughs> But, you know, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You go do your tennis. You do, you know, you know, tennis is fun. Sure. It's not like, it's not like being a journalist and making a difference in somebody's life. But that's cool. It's fun for you. So Ted goes with Nancy. <laughs> I'm going to get you a big hat one day. <laughs> Classic, uh, you know, reporter, photographer, partnership. Yeah, because she wants Ted to go with her to take pictures. Yes. Yes. Very... I was saying very season three, Stranger Things, Nancy and Jonathan vibes. They're uneasy with each other. Things aren't going very well at the newspaper job, but they're going to try their best to break some news here. Um, but things don't go very well when they get to the jail, as you can imagine. What happens? You're not allowed to have a camera when you go visit somebody in jail. So uh, the person takes it away from uh, Ned. And, and that's he- the end of the movie. <laughs> and also his name's Ted in this, Kevin. <laughs> I'm curious why you suppose they changed that. I have questions too. I don't know. I don't know, Kevin. <laughs> why don't I change? Why don't I just start calling you Ken right now? <laughs> but Nancy knew that you're not allowed to have cameras in jail, so she put uh, was it a rock or a piece of wood in the camera case and put the real camera in her hairdo in her giant perm. It turns out that's why old ladies have those kind of hairstyles back in the day because good for concealing <laughs> camera equipment and then nancy who uh is anya alluded to had given ned or ted a hat she suddenly decides this hat looks too good for a reporter so what does she do she destroys the hat she destroys it are you speaking metaphorically no benita granville brings an insane manic just disposition to this whole scene she's pounding on the hat she's throwing it on the ground stomping on it with her shoe you know just ripping at it i mean and 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 ted is just watching in horror this is a brand new expensive hat he got and just for the sake of going undercover for five minutes for a five minute assignment (laughs) his lady his girl nancy drew is destroying this gift it's almost like she's destroying his heart it's at its heart on the prison floor being stomped into a big crumpled mess. And when we saw him wearing this version, this distorted version of the hat in the opening credits, and I remember saying to Kevin, that's a terrible hat. And now we know why. It was once a beautiful hat. When, but- he, when he first put it on, he looked so proud. He looked so regal. And then he's reduced to this mess. But honestly, Nancy's point about having a sloppy hat as a reporter I think she's on to some general vibe. I think she's on to a kind of a vibe. I don't think journalists are known for being like real fancy, especially, you know, people who aren't on TV. So. Well, you say that, mm-hmm. but you're quite the clothes horse. <laughs> what? Is, well, did you just call me a horse? <laughs> what? <laughs> you're quite the clothes horse. What does that you're, mean? You're very, 
What weird 1930s slang are you using on me now, sir? It means you're very fashionable. Oh, thanks. Well, I don't know. Not really. But thank you. <laughs> Will you bring me some sugar cubes and apples? <laughs> I don't know. I thought this scene was really funny. And not, not I mean, like, obviously it's just Nancy being a jerk to Ted, but, like, the the glee with which she stomped on that hat and just went crazy with it, I, I thought was pretty fun. This sequence uh, and what happens immediately afterwards, my favorite moments of the movie. Honestly, this if the whole movie was like this portion of it, it would have been awesome. I would have been like, everyone go watch this. It's really fun. But unfortunately, other things happen. But we'll get to those later. So after she destroys his hat, they talk to the alleged murderers. Nancy uh, proclaims her belief in this woman's innocence. Yeah, real good reporting move. I believe you. Tell me. And then says she'll get her a lawyer. Yeah, that's. And And she hasn't even interviewed this woman. It's not like they talked and she was like, listen, I know you're innocent. I believe in you. And then we come to my absolute favorite sequence in the movie. She says... (laughs) She says to the alleged murderess, can we, it's, you're not really allowed to do it, but can we sneak a picture of you? <laughs> and, and the alleged murderess says, sure. And so Ted gets out his camera and it's ridiculously complicated and he slowly puts it together like he's preparing to fire a musket. And then what happens? He takes the photo and it explodes. <laughs> It like booms. It's like one of those old timey big camera things and it just explodes. And the prison matron rounds on them immediately. Like, what are you doing? And he starts rambling in this high pitched, terrifying voice. And they can and they run out of there. <laughs> and it's a very funny sequence. I related, I feel like something like that could happen to you and I. Yeah, I, I- no doubt about it. Nancy's next move is to go back to the murder house where she's been led to believe there is some evidence that could potentially exonerate the alleged murder. We should explain what that is. Basically, it's all some dumb shit about some friggin' chemical that photographers use. This lady who's accused as a photographer, she says that she did indeed have some of this chemical, but she never used it to poison but that if anybody else was messing around with it, their fingerprints would be etched onto the tin. So, I mean, wouldn't that imply that their, their fingerprints were, like, burning and they were holding it, like, screaming, like, ah! <laughs> So, anyways, I don't I have fun with that image. But, basically, um, if they can get the tin, the tin is the MacGuffin. If they can get the tin, they can show some other guy's fingerprints are on this. This lady is innocent. So, Nancy is out so, to so, find So, I guess tin. Nancy's next move is to contact the authorities and let them know this evidence might still be in the murder house. What? Chain of evidence? Huh? <laughs> No, so Nancy decides that she and Ned will go over there and she will figure out a way into the murder house and look for the evidence herself. And Ned says, well, even if you can get in, you know, it's still illegal. And what is Nancy's retort? Not for a journalist. No, not for a reporter. (laughs) And that's your whole attitude. That's my attitude in life. I don't, I'm a, I'm a member of the fourth estate. Try, Try me, come at me. I can do whatever I want. You're a reporter. No. <laughs> Nothing's illegal for you. <laughs> it's just anarchy for me. I can do what <laughs> I can do all sorts of heinous crimes. And if the police come at me, I can just say, 
See this uh see this little ID? Sorry. Anyways, but and I think what happens next is a little bit sad, a little bit funny. I think it might be your favorite sequence in the movie. Yeah, I really I really I really enjoyed this cuz again, I could see us in this position. All all the sneaking around scenes are fun. Um <clears throat> we meet an old friend, a dear friend, uh the guard who we saw help Nancy uh, find the hit and run driver. Um, and he, uh, Ted walks up to him and says, do you want to buy some magazines? Oh, I guess not, which is a great pitch. And, but then the poor guard ends up taking up Ted's offer to play rummy with him. Um, he was so happy when Nancy came by the last time. I think he's a deeply lonely man. Uh, guarding is a lonely profession if there's no other guards to hang out with. And so I, I felt very sorry for this man in this scene, but anyways, um, they make a, they make a high stakes bet. For the rummy. High Penny stick. a point. Penny a point. Ted is freaking out because, like, it's 1939. And um, this is my favorite, probably my favorite sequence in the film. Uh, they're, the tw- Ted makes them switch seats so that the guard can't see the door when Nancy's going to sneak in. And then as Nancy's walking up the porch and into the door, Ted starts caterwauling this insane song that just is ad-libbed, I think. And banging on like a pot that's somehow there all of a sudden <laughs> and it's just beautiful and at some point you know well into like after watching him do this for like a minute or so the guard just asks don't do that <laughs> but then continues to play rummy with him i mean if if some guy with a, a beaten up hat and a shifty attitude comes up and is playing rummy with me and starts doing that i'm getting out of there i'm calling for backup but this guard is that lonely so Love that scene. Um, and then Nancy's getting into some trouble in the house after that, right, Kevin? She is. She goes down to the basement. She finds the tin can, but our friend Mumbles, our friend Bane, our friend Froggy. His name is Soxy. Thank you. <laughs> this guy who can't talk clearly, he sees her and he starts chasing her around the basement. But she escapes with the tin can. Heck yes. Um, and meanwhile, Ted has gone into bankruptcy. Ted has lost all of his allowance. That high stakes penny a point game, it has wrecked him financially. And Nancy has destroyed the chain of evidence on this <laughs> crucial find. I mean, I have a question because, you know, if 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 I, uh, here's the murder tin, show up at the police station with this. It, can can any good defense attorney get that thrown out in court? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Don't so, have to be a good defense attorney. Yeah, just any, a defense attorney. Just some guy wandering by on the street. Hey, get throw out that there. out. <laughs> okay, we gotta. So don't. Because how do we know that Nancy didn't go to uh, Soxie's house and taken this can that he used at his own home for legitimate purposes? And it turns out that her father is considering according to her representing this woman so she's not an unbiased reporter yes so the defense attorney's daughter somehow cooks up some exonerating evidence that she can't really prove where she got or when she messed up she messed up she messed up and here's the thing i i wonder i mean listen we have fun we talk about oh reporters can't commit crimes according to this movie or oh reporting's all adventure and fun but like it doesn't this, maybe does this speak to some kind of idea of, that had formed at this point by 1939 about reporters about how they were just kind of like 
going into crime scenes, doing whatever, just effing things up, planting evidence, just being insane nuts about it. I think that seemed to be something in popular culture, but I, I don't think it was portrayed as a bad thing. It almost seemed like uh, police were, or it seemed rather like reporters were smarter and sassier and more go-getters than police. I mean, but no, I mean, I don't know. I like, I, 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 I don't. It, it wasn't seen as a, it, the movie doesn't ask us to think that what Nancy did was bad. No, even though, I mean, it, and it's certainly not like the Lindbergh case, you know, level of bad, like framing somebody, but right. it's, it's certainly not good either in terms of like an actual professional investigation. But I guess like, I mean, from you were more familiar with this time period. Do you think that that reputation was entirely deserved or was it only something that came out in like very specific cases like Lindbergh, where you actually had newspaper reporters flooding crime scenes and potentially actually planting evidence? I think that happened often. <laughs> you can't trust those journalists. Reporters are no damn good. That's what I've always said. Wow. If you want someone honest and integrity, someone you can trust with your life, obviously you go with an attorney. First you call me a fashion donkey and now this? <laughs> <laughs> Disgraceful conduct. Nancy and Ted, they have this tin can. They're not far from the police uh, station. And so for, for reasons of plot contrivance, Ted says, eh, I've got you almost to the police station. You take it the rest of the way, Nancy. You can tell me what happens later. I'm going to go play me some tennis. And he, he bounces. He ditches. Good for him setting some boundaries, honestly. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work well because uh, the Soxie's girlfriend appears out of nowhere, grabs the tin can from Nancy, and starts running off. Nancy starts chasing her. And the chase concludes when she runs into <laughs> Captain Tweety. And she says, Captain Tweety, of all people, it would have to be you. And I believe this was his only, Captain Tweety's only appearance in the film. Yeah, I don't, I'm baffled by this. Maybe he's a recurring character in the other Benita Granville, Nancy Drew movies. Maybe he's just some copyright infringement <laughs> of Tweety Bird. But he never shows up again. It's blink and you miss it. I don't even understand. And later on, there's an extended sequence we're talking about involving another police officer. Why not just use Captain Tweedy for that if he was so important? Right. And, uh, I mean, not to be um, that person, but that's not the name of the main cop in the Nancy Drew series. Just saying. <laughs> we then cut to a scene where uh, Carson Drew arrives home. McGinnis, McGinnis, that is the name. I forgot that, and I was desperately Googling. She works with a Chief McGinnis. I apologize. Proceed. Carson Drew arrives home. Oh, and uh, sorry, I'm being really obnoxious, like Benita Granville in this movie at times. This is my this is my this is my second least favorite scene, perhaps in the movie. What's coming up? And I think when you hear about this scene. You'll be wondering, well, why isn't your why isn't it your least favorite? But you're gonna find out later, so just buckle up. This the scene we're about to describe, very disturbing. <laughs> yeah, we don't like this scene. This scene made us feel dirty. 
so Carson Drew arrives home and it's late at night. Nancy's waited up for him. Uh, she has a bit of, of an ulterior motive. She wants to butter him up and manipulate him into taking the alleged murderess's case. And as part of this, like she gets down, kneels on the floor in front of him and helps him take his shoe off. <laughs> helps him put slippers on. But that's not even the worst part. I mean, she's basically trying to get him to represent this lady, right? That's yeah. that's the goal here. That's the goal. She wants she wants to win. She wants to get this woman off scot free so she can be the journalist who nails the story, um, which is kind of sleazy. But that's not the worst part of this. And, and I'm in she he's like undressing, getting ready for bed, and as he does this, he goes into the restroom. And Nancy follows him in there and sits on the toilet and argues with him. And it's kind of a weirdly intimate, it's a weirdly intimate moment, I thought. And things, increased, were, yeah. things were about to get more weird and more intimate. In the next scene, her dad picks her up, like carrying a bride over the threshold style, starts singing pretty baby songs to her, telling her she needs to go to bed, and then throws her on the bed and tucks her in. <laughs> Nancy Drew dot 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 report this to CPS. Basically, it, it, it's a bad <laughs> vibe all the way through. I did not want this. And like you know, the actors are kind of bantering, and it's kind of like got a witty feel. And like I just did not want this sexual energy in a scene between Nancy Drew and her father, respected attorney Carson Drew. Just not the ticket. It seemed I just don't even know why the scene was really in there, why it had this energy, but it was a it was an icky feel. Not the worst scene though. We're gonna get to that. There was a scene that made me ask Kevin to kill me. <laughs> she asked me to smother her, and it was not an unreasonable request. <laughs> I was not being overdramatic. And now we ha- we come to perhaps your favorite character in the film. <laughs> She goes to the uh, morgue office at the newspaper, which was the term used for the uh, place in the newspaper where they keep old newspaper clippings. For some reason, I got a kick out of this guy playing the uh, morgue keeper at the newspaper. He uh, was an old-time uh, actor, had lots of minor roles and things, named Jimmy Conlon. And he's only in this movie for a couple of minutes, but it was a memorable couple of minutes, and uh, I enjoyed him. Jimmy, you're a star. I like Jimmy's energy. <laughs> um, and then we get the worst characters back. Yes. Mary and Killer are back. Killer's talking about how he wants to kiss a polecat. Can I just... I've heard that phrase before. I feel like there were a lot of polecat-related jokes in the 30s and 40s. I don't... Is that fair? Yeah, I don't even know what a polecat is. I don't know what a pol... Apparently, they're looking like a mink kind of thing. I, that's not what I expected, but okay, we're moving <laughs> on. <laughs> um, hey, looks like a mink. Uh, Maybe I'd like to kiss one then. But now they're gonna go to uh, what you know, what what was once a quite popular sport, but has since sort of fallen out of favor. Um, but they're going to a boxing gym. Yes, because uh, Soxy, our number one suspect in the this Bane affair. fellow. Yes. He is a boxer, and so Nancy has decided that if maybe Ned can pose as a boxer, maybe he can get something out of uh, Soxie. 
And so she gives Ned a boxer name of One Round Lugan. What would your boxer nickname be? Obviously, your boxing nickname is picked by your lady. Oh, well, he's throwing it back to me. Yeah. <laughs> Knockout Kevin. Because KK. Oh, no. well, that's going in a bad direction. I was trying to do like a KO pun, but it just didn't come out right. Oh, that's very sweet. Knockout Kevin. What's my boxing nickname? Awesome Annie. No, it's obviously Killer Kane. Well, why aren't I Killer Kevin? We can't both be killers. So you want to be named after Killer Perkins? No. Okay, I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. I was willing to fall on that sword and take oh, that. That's <laughs> terrible. I don't even want to think about Killer Perkins. And we're ha- we have to talk about him more because there's something truly heinous coming up. My, my ancestor was a boxer and he apparently was pretty terrible too. So I, I don't think I'd be very good at this. Um, but anyways, we uh, enter the uh, ring of sexism and uh, awkward humor now. Because, of course, you know that now that Ted has been set up as a boxer, Nancy's going to get into him some, you know, hot water here. Because naturally, when he's trying to talk to uh, Soxy about the case and get some pumping for information, Soxy's not having it. But Soxy sees this, like, scrawny kid and is like, you're from Frisco? Like... Let's show them how, you know, like you do it on the East Coast. And they have, you know, obviously they have a boxing competition then. And Nancy's doing some weird technology stuff. I can't even figure out what she's doing in the scene. So there's some sort of, in this gym, they're playing a radio. And the radio is right next to a phone. And for some reason, anytime you dial the phone, it interferes with the radio reception. So when you use the rotary dial to like dial a three, there would be like three little brief interruptions in the song. If you use it to dial like a seven, it'd be like seven little radio interruptions. And so Nancy decides that she will trick Soxy into using that phone to call his girlfriend. She'll count the number of interruptions. That way she'll get the phone number. You're so much more observant than me. (laughs) Jeez. You're like Nancy. I'm like Ted in the boxing ring, just confused and bewildered by all my life circumstances at this point. You're the real Nancy Drew girl reporter in this relationship. Um, but let's get to the important thing, which is Ted getting CTE over this whole mission for Nancy. Yeah, he- Irreversible brain damage is to be incurred today. Very tragic. Making him box somebody else that seems like something you'd have happen to me why does that seem like something i would have happen to you you do anything for a scoop <laughs> Jesus. you've got your headline happy do you think they'd buy that you were a boxer <laughs> i've got the form for it look at this body you'd be doing the like the hands like the fists raised in front of your face kind of old-timey stance That'd be my move. That would be your one move. They'd be like, oh, he's a real boxer. He's one of those old-timey guys. He does the old style. And that didn't intimidate And then him. you wouldn't move from there. <laughs> They'd just knock you out. I took a couple of boxing-themed exercise classes pre-COVID, so I don't know. Maybe I would do well. No, you I would You sound pretty cocky. I would definitely immediately die. And, I mean, honestly, though, I might do better than Ted and, frankly, Soxie because I'm no boxing expert, but I'm pretty sure you're supposed to kind of Keep your hands around your face so you can block. And these guys are just swinging wildly in a ridiculous manner. And maybe that was the 1939 method. Who knows? But it looks very silly. 
for some people, everyone becomes super interested in this, so they're not watching Nancy's hijinks, but it just looks very ridiculous. But I, this made me think, Kevin, so you think uh, that this might be your fate someday, that I might r- rope you into some underground boxing exhibition. Let's say you're out there, you're in your little shorts, you're in your you know fancy boxing gloves. What What do you do? You don't know how to box. What do you do? Do you try to fight the guy? Do you, like, fake getting KO'd right away? Like, what do you do? I fake getting KO'd right away. Right away? Like the first hit? One round, one round Lugan. One round. What does I'm that done. mean? That means I, I wouldn't even last a round. You'd, you'd be, <laughs> one, be one round Kevin. <laughs> one punch Kevin. One, you just hit me, I'm down. You could be Kevin one punch, KO. One punch is one word in this case. <laughs> Actually, that'd be KOP, like a weird cop. <laughs> well, that's what you have to look forward to. So then Ted and Nancy, they get out of there. They have a conversation where Ted inadvertently reveals that this girl he's been playing tennis with all these times, she isn't just some uh, hussy. She's a lady who's given him tennis lessons. It's a professional relationship, not a personal one. Mm-hmm. And Nancy's elated. <sighs> We're getting close to the uh, the scene that made me so crazy that I wanted to end it all. So there's a scene where uh, Nancy and Ted, apparently when Nancy was trying to get that phone number, she missed like the last digit or something. So they have to call different hotels. They're calling different variations of the numbers she has. And they finally hit on one. It's a hotel where uh, uh, Soxie's girlfriend is staying. And through clever... Uh, language use they were able to find out that she's at a particular Chinese restaurant so they drive over there let me just let me just say because I want to stall because I want to delay the inevitable but I mean I really enjoyed that I enjoyed these scenes of Ted and Nancy figuring out this mystery together Nancy's the driving force Ted's helping in some key ways and they're using these techniques of like pretending to be different people on the phone and figuring out the the dialed numbers. And, you know, it's a silly mystery. This is not a very in-depth mystery, but it's nice to see resourceful young people working together to kind of get involved and, 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 and solve this mystery and figure out who the murderer is. I like these scenes. I, w- I wish this, I wish all the scenes were like this or like the funny photography or, you know, uh, pot banging scene because those, if that had been the case, this would have been an, a very fun old timey movie, and I wish they hadn't relied so much on the kids. So they arrive, they drive over to this Chinese restaurant, and they learn to their unfeigned horror and dismay that the kids have stowed away in the back. They they locked themselves in the trunk of a car, and for some reason. Just leave them in there. That's what I say. Lock them back in. Ted and Nancy let them out. The kids plead to be allowed to come into the restaurant. Uh, Nancy and Ted explain they don't have enough money to pay for four meals, and the kids can only come in if they agree not to order any food. The kids agree. They go into the restaurant. Almost immediately, the kids start setting fire to things at the table. It's just like a metaphor for the movie. Honestly. And then, of course, when the waiter comes, the. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I sound like I'm dead inside because I am. The kids order some food. Chop suey. And so, because of this, 
the final bill comes to 65 cents more than what... Uh, we need to talk about a few other things before you wrap this up, because I know you're trying to get through it, too. I, I am. But um, I, we need to talk about a few other things, because we'd be uh, derelict in our duty to not mention this. Um, God. This is in a Chinese restaurant. This is... This is this is a very offensive, horrible, racist portrayal of these Chinese employees in this Chinese restaurant. So that's just adding to the just overall grating terribleness of this entire scene. Just totally unnecessary. Just totally unnecessary scene. But you have the racism. You have the annoyance of these characters being there. And then let me tell you this. It gets so much worse. Want to talk about that, Kevin? <laughs> Want to talk about what happens when they can't pay their bill because these little dipshits had a big order of food? So they're 65 cents short. And so the, the, the guy who runs the place says, well, obviously this is an old movie. You can't pay your restaurant bill. You're going to have to wash the dishes. In fact, maybe you have to wash the dishes for like two or three nights. Everybody says, okay, yeah, that sounds reasonable. That makes sense. That's fair. And then they start to be marched towards the kitchen. And then uh, one of the kids, Killer Parkins, says, wait a minute. What if instead of washing dishes, my friend Mary does a number? And everybody says, yeah, that, that makes sense. Because obviously diners at a restaurant where they're hoping to see professional entertainment would love to see a random 14-year-old girl <laughs> do a number. What happens next? They sing. And they don't just sing. They sing a melody of classic lullabies like Mary Had a Little Lamb. I think I blacked out after that one. <laughs> But it goes on and on and on. And I I feel sorry saying this. I don't know if somebody was trying to make a career for the young actress who played Mary, who, start, who kicks off the number. I don't know why they thought this was a good way to do that. I don't know why they thought this was a good idea at all. I don't know why they did this. I don't know why they did this. Um, I got such bad secondhand embarrassment from seeing these just obnoxious white kids dance around singing lullabies in a Chinese restaurant. I like, I, I just wanted, I just wanted the whole thing to be over. It was so, 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 so cringy. It went on. It went on. It felt like years, felt like years that it went on. And of course, of course, cause I promised you our old friend Donald duck comes back. <laughs> In this horrible lip sync Donald Duck song bullshit. Because don't get the wrong idea. It's not just Mary singing. Killer Parkins, he sings a bit. And even Nancy and Ted. Ted can't sing also. I guess that's the joke. It's supposed to be funny in the movie. But frankly, I just felt happy for his actor that he didn't have to really participate in this part. He sang a little bit though. He sang a little. Everyone's tainted. Everyone's tainted. But he got out of this the cleanest yeah jesus it was awful i wrote down i hope these kids get poisoned uh, for me for me the inclusion of this kind of like dipshittery <laughs> just it really sunk the movie it was it was disappointing 
a lot good about it, but I just can't. These kind of like silly, just ugh, big musical scenes. Everyone's singing. Just stop. Just stop. And I don't even remember. Did the people who ran the restaurant say the the just, guy? Just go, please go. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the sixty-five cents. Just go and never the guy come who owned back. the guy who owned the restaurant. His eyes were like bleeding. He, he's on the ground writhing. Please just go, please. That's how it ended. No, actually, he just is beaming and tears up the bill. I think that's what the kids thought they saw, but I think in in actuality, he just couldn't go on anymore. The torture was too much. Wasn't worth the sixty-four cents. But anyways. Oh, yeah, and also, can you imagine if you were in a customer at this restaurant and this happened? How much would you have to hold back? And, I mean, you couldn't do it, but I could do it since I'm a reporter. Just chuck a glass at one of their heads, you know? I, laws don't apply to me, so I can yeah, just... Yeah, I got, I got the chuck. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were looking at me like, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> no, no, I was looking at you with appreciation. <laughs> I would... I, I would do that, hit them square in the face, they'd go down, and I'd stand up like, our nightmare is over. It's okay, everyone. You can go back to eating. And, and the diners would rise as one and hoist you upon their shoulders Yay! and parade you around the restaurant, hailing you as a hero. Yeah, that's it. Everybody. There you go. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> Bless you, Anya. <laughs> We're so good at podcasting. No, just stop. <laughs> So, Kevin, how do we how do we hike ourselves out of this nosedive? How do we how do we get back? We we go to the newspaper office. Yes. Where the kids have come in with their stories. And this kind of just seemed to press me. I'd really enjoyed all the bitter journalism scenes before this, but this was just kind of sad. Um because the editor is is horrible in this scene and announces that the poor girl who wrote a s- story about a nutcracker built for a squirrel or something, won the, the contest. And she's elated. This is a really big deal for her. She wants to be a journalist. She doesn't have a fancy lawyer father like Nancy. She just has a passion for writing and maybe wants to write novels one day. But, you know, for now, I think journalism is a great career because she really loves getting to the truth and getting to those kind of human stories, you know, that, that lie behind every news article. And so she won. She finally got recognized. This This could be a game changer for her. Oh, wait. Nancy hasn't submitted her story yet. Let's uh let's hold back on that nutcracker win for now. Nancy's story wins. It's basically it's, it's a headline worthy story where she reveals that the murder the alleged murderess's attorney believes she is innocent. This is front page news. I was so depressed for the squirrel girl. Yes, I'm going back and talking about that because that's not right. I don't like that. And if I were her, I'd hate Nancy after that. I wouldn't want to go into journalism, and that's a shame. Because obviously her story was good enough to be better than the other stories that were assigned. Nancy basically cheated to win because she didn't print the assigned story. And it just feels... Plus, Nancy admits later that she made the whole story Yeah, she fabricated! She Stephen glassed it! She Jason Blared it. She she Janet cooked it. She Janet cooked it! This is ridiculous. She she's not even a real reporter. She's just a fabulist. And she used her fancy lawyer dad to cheat and get a scoop. It's it's baffling. It's unfair. 
I hope this squirrel girl is undaunted and goes on to just join a rival newspaper where she can actually get into a good, decent internship program and just kicks everybody's asses from Kingdom Come afterwards and, you know, eventually gets a nice column where she can write about, you know, issues facing the city and, and retires happy before the, you know, before journalism collapses in the 21st century. So I, I hope, I hope, I wish the best for this girl. And now we're moving into the end game. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. And you've probably forgotten what the mystery was about, which like I know same. I have. Yeah, we don't we don't know why we're here anymore. Oh, also let's talk about the let's <laughs> let's put on our journal let's put on our editorial hats for a second. Our editorial visors, you know, to be traditional. And this is the headline they run with Nancy's fake ass Stephen Glass shattered glass story. Murder suspect innocent. Claims, <laughs> this is a joke headline I wrote. Yeah, this, the is... this is uh, so I'm getting outraged over nothing. <laughs> Another huge blunder. <laughs> but basically, oh, calm down. They basically run a headline that's basically something to the effect of "Murder suspect innocent claims well healed defense lawyer." That would not be what was in the headline. They'd be talking about how salacious the murder was. This would not be the lead fucking story because, of course, your defense attorney, who you hired and paid to defend you, is going to say you're innocent. Why is that the lead? I think this was a slow news day, and that's why Nancy succeeded in this way. And now they're going to have to print a retraction on the front page. I mean, this is honestly the worst thing that ever happened to this this newspaper, that Nancy got a hold of it. Strong words. They they broke a freak ass story, and then when the other newspaper you know roasts them in an editorial or something, they're gonna have to say, well, you know, and we we let an intern do this. I think there must have been a lot of bad shit happening in this newspaper because you see how depressed that editor is. Yeah, this is why shit like this. Now can we get to the end game? <laughs> After all my hot journalism takes are all <laughs> fizzled up. Yeah, sure, we can get to the. <laughs> I just i i wanna i wanna live in like the newsroom world because this is Nancy Drew as a reporter. It's not Nancy Drew as a Chinese buffet singer or you know bad girlfriend. This is reporter Nancy, and I would have loved to see more of that because the glimpses that we that we get of it, other than her cheating to win the contest, are kind of fun. But it's really it's really lacking in that department, so it's disappointing. She goes to a police station with Ted. They talk to a Sergeant Intwistle. I believe our old friend Tweety is name dropped in passing. Tweety Bird, yeah. But he's not He's not the guy involved here. No. And they say, you need to work with us to bring down the bad guys. We've got a plan. And Intwistle says, oh, you know, I can get other cops involved. Blah, 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 blah. They convince him that'd be foolhardy. So it's just going to be this police officer working with these two teens. A, a teenage reporting intern and her boyfriend, a, a, an aspiring tennis professional. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> this is going to be rich. Tell us about this sting they concoct. Well, their big idea is to dress Sergeant Entwistle up in drag so he looks like a Mrs. Doubtfire reject and um, go up to the criminal's hotel room Drill a hole. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I'm getting ahead of myself. I don't want to 
simplify this very you know intensive, well thought out sting operation. They check out the room right next to the criminal's room. Then they're going to, without a warrant, drill a hole between the walls in the dividing wall between the criminal's room and their room, and then do some complicated technical work in order to like make sure that the wires are going through that hole properly and are all set up around the criminal's room so they can really listen in and hear them talk about, you know, what happened, you know, or what, what's going on. Where's the tin, you know, get, get some confessions on the line. So just, can I say this plan sounds flawless? Oh yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Tell me what happens. Well, I mean, first of all, I mean, we should talk, I mean, like, I don't, I hate, like, like, why is, why is like, oh, so a guy's in drag, haha, like, that's something people like to do, and that's wonderful, you know, and they just portray it as like a big, silly thing, and I just, that is irksome, but it also adds completely nothing, because, I mean, couldn't they have just gone to the hotel owner, and with a warrant, first of all, but if you're not going to do that, because it's like 1939, and you don't care about civil rights, maybe you could just, like, go as yourself as a police officer and, and, and sort of try to force them to do it. Or if you want to do it incognito, you could just go. There was no reason for this guy to be in drag, basically. He could have just been like, I'm a traveling businessman. I'm going to go to that to that room. There was no reason. Anyways, so this goes really well. They're drilling a hole. Nancy and Ted are tasked with drilling the hole in the wall of the hotel room that they <laughs> are staying at. And, um, and... Uh, Sergeant Entwistle is bustling about the criminal's room that he's broken into. Um, and like, the first thing he does is he gets his dress caught in a comically large trunk. And so then when the criminal in- inevitably makes his appearance, the sergeant's dress is immediately torn off. As he tries to flee, he's swiftly captured. And shot in the head. <laughs> Surprisingly dark into the movie. <laughs> But Nancy got a big story, learned a valuable lesson. This so was Nancy's what, ace. In, this is Nancy's ace in the hole moment. <laughs> this is a shame. It was a five star final for Sergeant Entwistle. <laughs> oh, Billy Wilder should never have been asked to direct this movie. Um, so that's wait, not how it ends. No, he doesn't get shot in the head. He just gets captured, and then uh, the criminals go into the next room where they find. Who else but Ted and Nancy? You know, who are swiftly captured. We're swiftly captured as well, and you don't you don't see what happens to Sergeant Entwistle. So at this point, maybe he is dead. We don't know. And he uh, and and the criminals uh, force Ted and Nancy. Up so what to- what would you do if you're the criminals? You capture these two meddling kids. What's your next move? How bloodthirsty am I? You're just an average criminal. You're, you're the criminal in this picture. Well, I don't know. They killed an old lady, right? They poisoned her. Yeah. So would you just kill him? I mean, if I wanted to get away with it, maybe. Because this is clearly an off-the-books operation. Because why else would these teens be here? I don't know. I don't want to kill anybody. Because apparently he, he succeeded in immobilizing Sergeant Inwistle. Right. So he they can do that. I, I guess I would... I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, at this point, maybe if I wanted to seem like an upstanding citizen, I don't think they have anything on me. So I might just be like, I'm going to like hold you all at gunpoint in my hotel room and call the security. Mm. 
and, and basically sue your asses because you were trying to steal. Uh, you guys were acting as agents of the state. You were trying to spy on me. This is ridiculous. I'm being harassed by the police department in an unofficial means. I'd get Sergeant Entwistle's. Get his badge. Get his, get his badge. Get these kids, you know, some counseling. <laughs> God knows they need it. So, yeah, I, I would probably I'd probably do that. I forget. I don't even remember if they got anything on them. I think they kind of just came in and found the found Sergeant and whistle. And we're like, okay, we're not. <laughs> they really they they had no reason to try to capture these people. They could have literally just been in the right and been like, they broke into my hotel room. I don't know what they're doing. Right. But what he he does with Ted and Nancy is he takes them to the roof. And that's kind of an ominous moment a little bit because you're like, are they gonna like making them jump off the roof, yeah. make it look like a suicide? That's a good move. But instead, <laughs> that's a good move. He locks them into a, like a storage shed at the top of the roof, which is also the room where, for some reason, you have a very conveniently labeled control board, which controls all the lights on the hotel sign. What's going to happen? Some pretty, some shenanigans. Um, the hotel, for, by well, the well, way. Well, okay. Well, well, first... Oh, actually, and, and you know, and, and credit to them, Nancy and Ted do ask, like, what do they do with Sergeant Entwistle? And my only thought at that point was hopefully put him out of his misery. <laughs> and also we have some ominous foreshadowing because we see that the kids are back. The kids are messing around in Nancy's car. And I'm I'm already getting worried. The kids are going to be back in this. That's not what we need right now. That's not what we need at all. We need to wrap this up quick. We don't need these kids. We don't need any hijinks. We don't need, need any just ugh, little rascals nonsense. Unless the hijinks come from Nancy and Ted. Nancy realizes I can control the the hotel's sign. And the hotel is the Beldenburg Hotel. Where so Brett Stevens stays. <laughs> Carefully, he's going to write to my manager or something. <laughs> he does that, you know. I know. The Bedbug Hotel. She causes the, the lodging of choice of a prominent op-ed New York Times columnist. So she causes certain lights to burn out, changing the sign from Beldenburg Hotel to Bedbug Hotel. And everyone in town finds this hilarious. This kills. This would have slayed at I mean like the, 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 people are literally it's not people are like smiling walking by. People are stopping, standing up, staring. And just cackling and pointing at this hotel. And of course the hotel manager's like, oh, we must have decorum. We must send someone to fix it immediately. So a uh, hotel repairman goes up there to fix it. And he frees Ted and Nancy. And then he's in it. He looks confused. He doesn't even seem like an actor. He just seems like some guy who got involved. <laughs> he's coming down the stairs with them like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> These teens were <laughs> breaking the sign. Um, but they make him go get the cops, and uh, they uh, they go back to uh, the, the room that Sergeant Entwistle originally rented. You know he's long dead at this point, obviously. But he and they and they listen to the audio equipment to get a sense of what's happening in the next room. What's <laughs> happening in the next room, Kevin? I don't even remember. This. <laughs> you blacked out. Well, I mean, you get this. We have notes here. Well, I'm looking at the notes, and the note said, is a note from you where you said, I have no idea what the central premise of this mystery <laughs> is anymore. It's so not an important part of the story. Yeah. 
Okay, well, what's happening is the bad guys who, I mean, I guess we didn't really get into this so much, but uh, <laughs> kind of missed an important plot point that happened at the Chinese restaurant. But we were getting, we were so keen on getting you guys through that because we didn't want to remember it that we kind of messed up. But basically the bad guys are fighting because Soxie, um, his girlfriend was two timing on him at the Chinese restaurant with uh, a guy named Lambert. And so they're, they don't like each other anymore. Now Soxby, uh, who, who I help, I believe helped in the murder, uh, which was perpetrated by Lambert. He has the tin. And he's kind of blackmailing Lambert with, and it's kind of like, you know, if you don't treat me right, I'm going to, you know, divulge this evidence. But now for some reason they're friends again and they've tied the sergeant up and they're talking about like, I guess we got to go on the run now, <laughs> which doesn't make any sense because again, Sergeant Entwistle was breaking and entering into their room and he hadn't even, I mean, did he find the tin or something? I forget. I mean, like I, th- there was really no reason for them to freak out and attack him and, and do no, all there this. Were, there was no reason. Yeah. So they've basically, you know. They could have gotten away with it, but they just jumped the gun, really. Uh, they tried to steal Nancy's car, but of course the kids... No, well, what ha- well, I mean, that, that, I guess they... I, I, I don't... Oh, yeah, they, they run off and steal Nancy's car. No, you're right. I'm sorry. But the kids had planted their, uh, <sighs> their whistle bombs. <laughs> don't sound so excited about it. And there's a car chase. People are hanging onto the sides of cars. Well, no, no, so Ted and Nancy free the sergeant. They all run downstairs. The dumbass whistle bomb goes off as the thieves steal Nancy's car. Ted, Nancy, and the sergeant grab onto the side of a police car that starts careening after this smoking vehicle. And I wondered, like, did people actually like drive like that back then with just people hanging off the car? Oh. Um, but basically, the whole thing is wrapped up pretty quickly when uh, the uh, criminals crash their car and are promptly arrested for the murder. Um, Nancy's... Uh, and her dad's client are, is going to get off scot-free, and she has the scoop of a century. The sergeant's mind is broken because as everyone's laughing at his outfit, he just bitterly and hollowly you know, laughs back. But there's a happy ending. Yes, because we get on a call on the radio about our favorite characters, the kids, Killer and Mary. And uh, they've, they've, they've gotten, I believe, nabbed for setting off those whistle bombs, and hopefully... Uh, they get sent to jail and later old Sparky because I can't stand them and they are the real villains of this picture because they, their presence and this bad writing really dragged down what could have been a fun, entertaining and uh, uh, you know diverting picture about Ted and Nancy figuring things out and doing a mystery and being kind of silly. We, we, we didn't need this extra comic relief. The only funny scenes are the ones without them. <laughs> I think those kids make Nancy Drew reporter old news. What's your take on this picture? Well, uh, listen, like any good editor, I'm going <laughs> to try to find the good along with the bad. I think there's a lot to be salvaged here. I think if you want, you can maybe look up some of the clips that we mentioned and you know see if you enjoy those. Um, might be a good way to get a sense if you have a, a taste for the character or you know this particular series of films. Um so I wouldn't scrap that, uh, you know, but I, I, I would like Ted and Nancy love Ted and Nancy that they're, they're really fun together. Um, I, I, I'd be interested in checking out more films in this series just to see if they had more time and, and less kind of dumb side character nonsense because they were a lot of fun. Um, and, and that is worthwhile, but I think everything else is going to end up on the editor's spike here. <laughs> 
Would you spike this movie? No, I wouldn't. Sp- I would spike most of it. I would spike most of it. But the the stuff that's good could be reworked, uh, reworked into something pretty good. Would you put out an extra edition? <laughs> no, I'm saying. I don't anymore. even know. You're just trying to do newspaper <laughs> puns. I think here's what: if this was a story, I would I would tell the uh, the newspaper intern, you know, you have some talent here. I want you to go back and delete a third to two thirds of this. Rewrite it with a real focus. Um, make sure you have a nut graph so you remember what this whole thing's about and why people should care. And uh, you know, make it make it punchier and focus on focus on the actually interesting stuff. Cut out all the fluff. That's that's my editorial take on this movie. Is it time to write thirty on this one? Yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com. You can follow us on Twitter at mystery to me. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore, and at mystery to me podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com. We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T-O. Thanks Thanks so so much much for listening. listening.